Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about a new device that scientists have developed that makes sound go one way. You'll also learn about the surprising power of exclusion and why and how you can control it with special guest Vivian Sias. Let's satisfy some curiosity. A team of Yale researchers has developed a device that makes sound and other vibrations flow in one direction. And this opens up a world of possibilities for transmitting sound and heat. Before I get into how it works, here's a quick refresher on how sound works. All sounds are transmitted through vibrations. For example, your voice causes your vocal cords to vibrate, and then the sound is carried through the air by vibrating particles. These vibrations have different amplitudes and frequencies. Amplitude is the size of the vibration, or how loud the sound will be. And frequency is the speed of the vibration, as in how many wave cycles happen per second, and that determines the sound's pitch. There are tons of devices out there to make sounds in certain frequency ranges louder or quieter. Musical instruments, for example, are designed to amplify certain frequencies, and car mufflers are engineered to absorb sound. Devices like that are called acoustic resonators, and the Yale team used two acoustic resonators to make sound go one way. Specifically, they had two acoustic resonators where sound stored in the first resonator could leak into the second, but not the other way around. They used a laser light that works like a sort of tuning knob. When it's trapped between two mirrors, the force of the laser can make a sound wave's vibrations weaker or stronger, depending on the wave's direction. And they expanded the one-way sound technology to apply to other types of vibrations, like heat waves. They can make heat flow from point A to point B or from B to A, regardless of which one is colder or hotter. That would be like dropping an ice cube into a glass of hot water and having the ice cubes get colder and colder while the water around them gets warmer and warmer. With continued development, we could use this technology to make noisy equipment quieter, protect the components of delicate electronics, and create clearer two-way communication between things like cell phones. We'll keep sending our podcast one way into your ears in the meantime. Today's episode is sponsored by Arm & Hammer and their new cloud control cat litter. You know what I love? My cat, Aglet. What I don't love is cleaning up her litter box. And Cody, did you know that there's actually been some scientific research into cat preferences in litter boxes? What? This particular study took place in 2012, and they examined the preferences of 28 cats. They gave each one a covered and an uncovered litter box, and the boxes were cleaned daily and waste was measured in each box. And they found no overall preference. They just saw that some of them liked the covered box, some of them liked the uncovered box, and they basically said, give your cat both and see what they like. Science! What kind of litter box does Aglet have? Aglet has a covered litter box. I like the covered one because then I don't get all the gross stuff out in my bathroom. And that's why Arm & Hammer created new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nasty stuff when I scoop. It's 100% dust-free, free of heavy perfumes, and it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. Whether you've got a cover or not, right? Right. Perfect. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Ongoing research may have found some insights into how you can feel less excluded and how you can help others feel more included. In the final edition of our Mentality Mondays miniseries, you'll hear about some very exciting research from Vivian Sias, director of the Personality Attachment and Control Laboratory at Cornell University. Last week, she told us about a game called Cyberball that researchers use to test things like feelings of social exclusion and social loneliness. It's basically a game of catch that you play with two other people on a computer, although the two other people are really just algorithms. 
And once those computer players stop throwing the human player the ball, that player typically gets pretty upset, even if they know they're just playing with computers and not real people. Well, if you thought those results were extreme, then wait till you hear this. Here's Professor Tsias with an experiment her team did to see how people would respond to a more ambiguous exclusion scenario. Exclusion could be much more subtle. And one way that we started studying it is what happens if there's one person who excludes you but includes somebody else, okay? So in the ball-tossing game, one person stops throwing you the ball and throws it to the other person, and the other person continues to throw you the ball and throws it to the excluder. And what we see is people still feel bad in that situation, even though there's one person who's being inclusive, who's throwing the ball to them, people still feel bad in the presence of one person who's excluding them. But the other thing that was really interesting to us was that the person who's sort of caught in the middle, who's the includer, they weren't perceived as being fair. They were, in fact, fair. 50% of the time, they threw the ball to the participant, and 50% of the time, they threw the ball to the excluder. But participants thought that they actually favored the excluder over themselves. Wow. And to that was really interesting to us because it was sort of objective. This person's trying to be fair, and they were perceived as slightly exclusive. And so we started exploring that further. We used different types of manipulations to try to understand how do people perceive the included person, okay? So not the excluder, but the included person. And we wanted to address the alternative explanation that maybe people felt that the included person sort of tacitly was accepting the exclusion because they kept throwing it back to the excluder too. That maybe they felt that the included person was condoning the exclusion. So we wanted to get rid of that possibility completely. And so what we did is we had participants imagine a scenario. And so imagine that John invites Cody to a new movie that's coming out, but doesn't invite you, Ashley, okay? John Um, sounds like a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what we found, we asked people in your position, Ashley, how do you feel about Cody? Do you think Cody likes John over you? And what do you think is going to happen in the future when Cody has a party? Do you think Cody will invite both you and John or just John? So essentially, we wanted to know, do you think that Cody's going to be a little bit exclusive in the future, right? And Cody hasn't done anything. The only thing Cody did was get invited by John. And what we found was that participants thought that Cody would be exclusive in the future and liked John more than Ashley. So Ashley, in this situation, based on what we found, you might think that, oh, Cody in the future isn't going to invite you. And you might ask a friend you know, this is what happened. John invited Cody. Cody's going to have a party. Do you think Cody will invite me? And when you ask your friend, your friend will also think that Cody will be exclusive and won't invite you in the future. Wow. So what we're seeing here is sort of like this person who's caught in the middle. Cody, you're caught in the middle. And in our studies, most people respond the way you did, Cody, which is like, you know, I wouldn't be exclusive in the future. I wouldn't show a preference towards John. So most people who are caught in the middle don't think that they would show a preference one way or the other. They think they would be fair. And in fact, if anything, they feel like, wow, this is a little bit awkward. But 
people looking at that situation who are the ones being left out, both in the situation with Ashley or like Ashley's friend looking at the situation, they misperceive the included person and actually think that the included person is part of the exclusion. And uh, we've done some studies where we look to see when people have an opportunity to interact with this person who's included, who hasn't done anything, the only thing that, they, that happened was they were invited when somebody else was not. How do they respond to that person? And uh, what we see is that when people who are rejected have an opportunity to interact with the included person, they are a little bit less warm, they're less engaged, and they're basically more cautious. And they're behaving in a way that you would behave towards someone who you think may exclude you or may not include you. So what we're seeing is that we call this sort of the spread of exclusion, that even though in the situation someone did not, the included person, has done nothing, they become tainted and they become perceived as an excluder in the minds of the person who's being rejected. And then because of that, the rejected person then is more cautious talking to them, more guarded. And what you might expect to happen is some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, which is the included person meant to be fair, but now the rejected person is not warm, is less engaged, and that might actually lead the included person to actually exclude them through a self-fulfilling prophecy phenomenon. Wow. So to recap, the spread of exclusion basically says that if you've got a friend who invites you to a party or fancy event, but doesn't invite most of your friends, then those friends might see you as being in on that exclusivity, like you were part of the decision, even though you had nothing to do with it. And your friends might even be less nice to you and act more guarded or cautious. Pretty rough, right? Now let's get into why this might be. Our argument is that not only are people sensitive to exclusion, but we're also relational beings and we make inferences about social relationships and we make inferences about who is allied with whom. And so we're very quick also to group people together that you're part of this group or you're part of that group and you're friends with this person, not friends with that person. And so when the excluder includes the included person, people are very quick to lump them together. And what we do see is that people think that they're much closer, that they're a unit, and it's all triggered by the actions of the excluder. The included person doesn't have to do anything. So our argument is that we're also quick to put people together in as like, here's a group, here's a dyad. And we want to know, you know, who's working with whom, because that might inform evolutionarily how we might direct our resources. So if we think that the excluder is leaving us out and that this other person is friends with them and they're in alliance, well, we might not want to give our resources to that person because then we're investing resources in someone who might not invest their resources back. Yeah, so the excluded party is going to basically see the person showing preferential treatment and the person receiving preferential treatment in the same light. Right, and the person who's receiving the preferential treatment doesn't think they're going to be exclusive in the future. So this is an ally. Like if you think about in one social network, one person's getting excluded, this person who's receiving preferential treatment could be a friend, like could be a potential ally, a source of connection. But now they're being viewed as not a person that they can be, that is safe, not a person that they connect with. And that's really unfortunate because, again, this person 
has every interest of being inclusive and fair. The key takeaway? Try not to be so quick to lump people together. Because think about it. That person who was included in that exclusive person's plans could be a potential ally. It could be somebody who wants to work with you or help you out. Put them in a box and label them as part of some other group just because they were included in something you weren't included in. And that's one less potential ally. We hope you enjoyed the final episode of our Mentality Mondays miniseries. You've been hearing from Vivian Zayas, director of the Personality, Attachment, and Control Laboratory at Cornell University. We've shared our full uncut interview with her with our patrons. So if you support Curiosity Daily, then head over to patreon.com slash curiosity.com if you want to download the whole thing. You can also hear Professor Zayas and other experts on Cornell University's podcast series called What Makes Us Human. We'll include links to all of that and more in today's show notes. Today's episode was brought to you in part by our patrons. Special thanks to Roger Wright, Steve Guy, Dane Norris, Hayden Fossey, Brock Hendrickson, and Reed for supporting our show. You can help support our podcast at patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. There's also a link in today's show notes. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.